Ephesians 3, uh, looks like I think it's 14. Okay, so for, I guess this is our third week now, we've spent time thinking, discussing, uh, studying the ideas of revival and reformation. Um, and as, as, we've, as we look, we, we've not gotten too in-depth, and, and really the point is, is not to spend go in depth week after week but but touch here and there uh, on on these two ideas of revival and reformation uh, and take our time um, so as we study these things we ought to also be praying for these things um, so I had a quote a couple weeks ago that that said, Basically, it was like a man praying for revival is not is not a threat to Satan, but a man praying for revival, praying for revival and seeking reformation. Now, that's a man Satan is afraid of, and I would actually say it the reverse. We could get so caught up in trying to make ourselves so revival worthy, and we we. And yet, not be humbly going to the Lord and asking for Him to do these things, that we would be un, um, uh, we would not be an enemy of Satan in that as well. So I, I truly do believe, and that this is the point that one of the points I want to drive home this evening um, is that we seek we seek these things on our knees. But we also seek them in pursuit of our own reformation and holiness. Um, and last week, so last week, one of the things we discussed is a, a, a potential way of how the modern church and, and, and us, if the shoe fits, how we ought to be looking to reform ourselves um, in the point of Scripture. And just as a reminder, we, we, we saw and understand that Scripture is inspired. It's directly from God. It's inerrant. It has no errors. It's infallible. It's never wrong. And it's sufficient. It's enough when it comes to the things of God and salvation. We need nothing else. Um, but we also understood that while we could affirm all those things, we could practically deny them in our life. We could say the Bible is sufficient for everything I need and then turn to something else. Uh, so that was the first thing that we really wanted to focus on, on how we might reform ourselves, which ultimately reformation is going to lead to repentance. Uh, because if you're reforming, then you've gotten off path at some portion, some way, somehow. And so repentance is necessary. So the, the first thing I want to do and we've not really, like I said, dug deep into revival in itself. Um, but here, here's just something that I wrote. 
the Spirit of God in a revival would awaken those whom it's reviving. As if the Spirit of God is stirring up and causing, you know, when you stir something up, you're, you're, you're getting everything in that bowl or cup to mix up and come alive, right? Revival would sort of have that effect uh, by the Spirit of God. And I mentioned a couple, maybe the first week, that something that happens as, as you've looked over through history is when revival hits a, a church or a community, three things happen to three different types of people. And I want to say this because I think we need to add a fourth category. But originally I said sleepy Christians awaken, nominal Christians are truly converted, and unbelievers outside of the church are radically converted. So that if you if you take a, a, a survey of history and revival throughout history, those those three categories show themselves. But what about the faithful? Like those that wasn't in the list. So what about the people who are like, hey, I'm not in, in all in all humility, I'm not sleepy, I'm not nominal, and I'm not an unbeliever. You you truly are faithful. Uh so what does revival do for the faithful? And I sit here and I was thinking about it all day today. What kind of category do you put the faithful in revival? And all I could come up with was they go into overdrive. They go into the next gear. You know, you know what I'm saying? They go from they go from fourth to fifth. And they're, they're, they are they are speeding up in their pursuit of Christ and holiness. Now, in all four of these categories, these four types of people and their the effect on them in the spirit of God stirring things up and awakening a church or a community. What let's let's just talk out loud for a minute. In all four of these categories of people, what and if any, I'm leaving it up to y'all what you think. What, if any, similarities would you expect to manifest across all four of these bounds, all four of these categories, if the Spirit of God did stir things up and, uh, and this awakening would happen? What are, what are some things that we would see that was taking place in all four of these types of people? Just shout it out. People getting right with one another. Okay. Uh, reconciliation. Reconciliation. Uh, fellowship amongst, you know, we could just even start out amongst the brethren. Okay, perfect. I love it. What else? Increase in uh, love or appreciation for Christ. Okay, increase of love and appreciation. Our affections for Christ would multiply. I love it. Keep going. Discipleship. So, can you get put some meat on that bone? No, come on. So, so discipleship in the sense of uh, the ch the church's understanding of their accountability for their brother and sister in pursuit of holiness. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Take the words right out of mouth. So it's not. 
the, the understanding that we're here for one another in our walk with Christ. And that might look like teaching. It might look like saying a difficult word to someone in sin. It might look like I put um, hospitality to one another. Um, My so thought was just relationships are going to grow because our understanding of who we are and who God is is now enlightened. And so relationships are therefore going to flourish. Relationships would flourish. Perfect. And that was, and that's just like what it is, so. Anything else? Any, we got, there's, what else you got? And we can get nitty gritty here. It's okay. Just keeps coming. Edification and encouragement. It just keeps coming. Around. Edification. So edification mean being built up. Right. Which, and I think would ultimately would a lot, a lot of ways happen in what Sylvia said. In those relationships. Sin would become exceedingly sinful, I believe. Okay, so the reality of sin would become more of a reality to those people. <laughs> like, uh, I, I, I love that. Um, which, what would then would result in the reality of sin being more in our faces? What, what then would take hap, take shape or result from that? Repentance was an increase in repentance. Yeah. Honesty. Okay. Yeah. Repenting. Repenting. I see a big smile on Jesus' face. Yeah. So, and even in with. With what Steve said, and then with what uh, Dan said, I think the understanding of our sin, in the truest sense, would increase our infections for affections for Christ. Very much so. We see how much we really need Him. That He has to be in control of our lives. You know. So dependency, mm-hmm. dependency on on. On Christ would increase, which let's flush that one out a little bit. Then what would show up if our dependency for Christ increased amongst the people? Happy Humbleness. Humbleness. Happiness. Happiness. Prayer. Prayer. Exactly. Exactly. That's right, and you would you would hope that. I think you said honesty. So if we're seeing our sin honestly, that would hopefully lead to confession. Um, I, I I don't. It was in an it was in a an Asian country, maybe South Korea. I don't, I'm not sure, but there was. So if you know Asian. Uh, culture there it has a saving face mentality meaning you're you take pride in who you are and what you what you're seen as and so you never want to get caught in the wrong you're always trying to save face well there was a there was a community and i i didn't it's documented and i just don't have it on top on top of my head 
in Asia where there was a revi- there was a revival going on and people started showing up to like shops in the town with money giving it back to the people that they had stolen goods from right and so the confession and and it, this wasn't just in one instance but this was happening in multiple places and so con- confession the real the reality of sin the the desire to confess and repent wasn't just a private thing but it becomes public right they make restitution um Places in the community that were sinful, that and so those businesses went out of business. Nice, yes. And so tying that all together, what you see when you see revival in a community, especially in a community, is you see a, this positive moral increase within a place, right? Uh, and the weird thing is, it's not weird; it's it's biblical. It even pours over into the unbelievers in the community. Um, okay, anything else? Along that line, I know the Hebrides revival. The um, bars actually shut down. Yeah. I don't know about all of them, but about, right, because there's just no, no where, way to serve. Where? In the Hebrides revivals. Where was that? The Hebrides. Yeah. Hebrides Islands. Where is that? Um, by England, huh? Okay, that's what I was wondering. Yeah. Uh, was that in the 1800s? I believe it was that. I can't remember. I remember led by, that. Led by Duncan Campbell. was the, one of the leaders there. I was thinking, I was thinking about the one in that area where, when the, um, the guy who started the Salva, started Salvation Army. I can't remember if it was connected there. Um. But and that was in that was in very immoral places. It would have had to been. I mean, well, here I don't know where it is, but I was there. I mean, we, me and my brother, he he was a missionary in Ireland for a while, and we just made a trip over there just yeah. to talk to because I mean it wasn't so long ago that the people there's a few people still alive from it, so oh. it had to been, but they were old. Right. Okay. Um. So. Gotcha. I'll have to do some more digging on that one. And the hope is, as we go on, as we go throughout this, is that we do we do look at historically documented revivals throughout uh, the church history. Um, and and there are a lot like that one and this one in Asia where we just don't know about. And but they are documented. Um, so a few more, just just. For for it to be out there, um, charity would increase, um, evangelism would increase, uh, an increase in the awareness of God and and just in general of who He is. A desire and hunger for the Word would would uh, would be renewed. Um, an increased desire to worship corporately uh, to the point where they don't want to leave, 
right? They just they just want to stay. They don't want to go home. Uh, increased prayer. We talked. Okay. So yeah, we knocked them all out. Um, the, these are these are what we would expect and what we've seen in uh, throughout church history in historical revivals. Things that have actually happened. Now. Let's let's keep. Uh, and I haven't got this in my notes, but let's just kind of put this in the, in our minds and think about it and pray about it and, and come back to it maybe later. Uh, we would be modern time. We had church service and eight people. Eight people couldn't stand it anymore. And came and professed Christ and was baptized. We would have, we would have the desire to go out and say, revival is taking place. Um, my, what I want us to think about is, is that we not be too quick to come to judgment. On revival, not judgment, but you know, to declare that the spirit of God is moving. Um, I remember during the first Great Awakening, uh, George Whitfield would go and preach and preach and preach and preach, and he, at the end of one of his um, sermons, and he and he and he was out in in the in in the fields and in the roads because they wouldn't let people like Whitfield in the churches. Um, and someone said, said so, so many people came to Christ at the end of his sermon. And he goes, or he, maybe they asked how many people came to Christ. And he goes, well, 60 made professions of faith. Come and let's, let's talk to them in six months and see how many actually came to Christ. Right, and so we think about the the the, the parable of the sowers and the the, the soils um, and all the possibilities of receiving the word quickly, uh, then getting uh, uh, choked out or not having roots to grow, therefore not being fruitful and growing. So we never want to say, ah, we're, we have revival. Uh, I think it's a continuation of remaining faithful even when we begin to see fruit. Now, which leads me to this question that I want to ask. All those things we just listed, all those things we just talked about it, just think about it. It's pretty much, it's just a yes or no question. Are all of those things not already biblical expectations of all believers? All the things that we just said. Yes. So now the second question. What's keeping us from these things? What? What's keeping us from pursuing these things? And that's an open question. Laziness. Okay. Greed. What the cost would be cost what would the cost be what would the what would the cost be for uh 
understanding our sin and repentance and confession, an increased desire for the hunger of the Word of God, an increased desire of reconciliation and relationships growing and discipleship, and a moral increase of uh, a positive moral increase amongst the people, um, an increased desire for corporate worship, an increased desire. For, what what would the cost be for those things? Same as it's always been. What is it? Free. Free? Free. Give me more. What you, what? Salvation is free. Okay. The cost would be you would have to give up. Okay. So we've got we've got two ways of looking at this. And we're both we've got we've got one that says free and one says there's a cost. Because I'm assuming that you're saying it's not free. That there is a cost to these things. Now, salvation is free. It is a gift. You pay nothing. But Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, do what? Count the cost. Right? Count the cost. Because you will give up something for these things. And what what are those that what do you what do you most of all give up? God. No. <laughs> Self. Self. All right. That's that. That's that foolishness of Christ we talked about in that last that last portion this morning in Hebrews 11. Oh, you want me to completely deny myself? Yeah. No thanks. That's the cost. As you said, the cross. Pick up your cross. Um, so that that's a very good it's a very good point. You know, me, myself, and I, costly, right? I think, but when you when you receive the inheritance, it's not costly anymore. Yeah. You know? yeah. And, and so in that that once you, you've received, so now you know that what you've received is more valuable than what you give up. Right. So we haven't even touched Ephesians three yet, but um, what were you saying? Okay, it's Ephesians one. Ephesians one, verse five, fifteen. Ephesians one, fifteen, and then we'll get to three because I forgot about it. Um, Ephesians one, fifteen. Now, keep in mind what Karen has just said. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, now watch what he wants, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. So Paul wants the believers in Ephesus and, and, and us to have this wisdom from the Spirit and understanding Christ. How? 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. There's that, that spiritual sight we've been talking about on Sunday mornings. That faith, that being able to see the unseen. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, here it is, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? If you, 
the more you realize, as it says in verse 3, the blessings, the spiritual blessings that we have received in Christ, namely Christ himself, um, it all seems, as we mentioned this morning, worthless. So the, we count the cost, but the costs come up short when it comes to what we receive in Christ. Okay, so now let's jump over to three. And I love this. I don't. I I love this passage, verse fourteen. To, and I, to me, this says this says revival all over it. So Paul's praying to, or he's 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 writing a prayer, and he says in fourteen, for this reason I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. To me, we're already kind of starting to get that sound of of what uh, revival would be. Was strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And that's what we want, right? To be filled with the fullness of God. To be strengthened in our inner being by the power of the Spirit that dwells in us. So that Christ will dwell in our hearts through faith. And that we will understand more the love of Christ. The love that surpasses knowledge. that, That to me says a movement of the spirit all over however i do i do honestly believe that this is this is the hope and prayer of a christian and that being part of a historical revival isn't necessary for us to increase in these things right um which is where I kind of get a little iffy on talk about revival because we do have to balance that this is the ordinary. This is the ordinary for a Christian. Um, okay, so if this is the ordinary and all those things that we said we expect in revival – uh, that those are normal expe- biblical expectations of all believers. And maybe we uh, let's have a couple more things of what might be keeping us from these things. Um, especially us as the as the church, right? We can't be we can't be looking. Oh, we don't have revival because of what's going outside the church. Well, we got to rein it in and be thinking what's going on inside the church. What's going on with us? Um, and to me, I kept I kept hearing over and over again, and I think I mentioned it this morning, 
uh, I believe help my unbelief. Unbelief, right, is is always going to block us from um, running the race that's set before us. Anything else that comes to mind that might be keeping us from doing these things that are biblical expectations of all believers? And I, I, here's another one: unrepentant sin. And I think this goes back to that reality of sin. So we're a people who, we're a people who have tried to make church so cozy and comfy, or even our friendships and our families so cozy and comfy, that we've just swept sin under the rug. And so then, it's just normal for people to live in unrepentant sin, right? Because the the mantra for the for the American church is. Well, we're all sinners. And we are all sinners, but repent of your sin. That's the point of the Bible. You're That's the message. Sinner, huh? You're still a sinner. You're still a sinner. You're always going to be a sinner, but... If you repent the rest of your life, no matter what age you start repenting, you're, you're, you're right. born a sinner, you're going to die a sinner. Hopefully a repentant sinner. Right. right, and so right. and so there's this, uh, there's a phrase, and I've heard it many ways, and let's see which one it comes to my mind. We're not after perfection, but a holy direction. Okay, yeah, I like that. Right. Huh? Yeah, well, I think we're supposed to be after perfection. Well, we can't, I'm going to say, we can't pursue, we, we, can't, can't, we, cannot, we cannot hit, obtain perfection. We cannot achieve it. But we are, we are on the path of a holy direction. Right. Um, and... And that, that again, we're getting to this this thing that we've made so easy. It's like, oh yeah, you have an addiction to porn. Seventy-five percent of men these days have an addiction to porn. You're okay. No, turn it off. Shut it off. Because if you don't, here's the thing: we won't say. If you don't put to death the deeds of the body, you will die. And I don't mean six feet under. If your your unrepentant your impenitence reveals the lack of the spirit of God dwelling in you. Right? And so we must say if 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 you happen to find out that a church member is having an affair, you don't turn your back. You you have to talk to that church member. You do. If you know it, you do. That that's our responsibility. Your responsibility isn't to gossip, but to say, if you do not repent of this sin, you will die eternally. We cannot let unrepentant sin just dwell and be. And I think I, I'm thankful that we as a as a body, uh, by the grace of God, do take sin seriously. I'm so thankful for that. I think there's uh, way too much silence. I know about those things. Mm-hmm. You were standing in the middle of the road and anybody saw a truck coming. No. Anybody yell at you and say, Look out, there's a truck coming. But 
knowing that you're uh, in a sin that could, you know, cause you eternal damnation, not say a word. And I would say the biggest influence on that in the church is the church trying to be like the world. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest influence on the church turning the, their back to sin. Uh, the last thing I have written down, and I'll kind of move pretty quick here. Um, biblical illiteracy are keeping us from these things. Um, we don't know our Bibles at all. Uh, and we could harp on that forever, but let's just let's just leave it. That's, let's just leave it there and say, if you don't, if, if your desire for the word is not there, then your desire for God is not there. Um, but let's also understand that. I I I see I see being in the word like eating like eating um you have to do it right you have to if you don't you'll starve um sometimes you're in a season where you don't eat well but what do you never stop doing? Eating. You never stop eating. Um, and that that analogy could go way wrong or so many different directions. Uh, and so don't ever think that. Don't ever think that. Well, I'm not going to read my Bible because I don't feel like it. I don't. If I don't feel like it, then I, it's not going to be what God wants. Well, no. No. Discipline yourself to stay in the Word, and and I, and I think we talked about this maybe last week, guys. You know, men, we're not going to be meeting for the next month, and I know for me, it's going to be easy for me to slack off a little bit. But stay in the Word, stay disciplined. Okay, so big point to ponder, and then we'll wrap up here in just a second. Big point to ponder. Revival, as we know it historically, is extraordinary. But I am completely convinced that revival takes place when ordinary people are being faithful in the ordinary things. I'll say that again. Revival is extraordinary. It's extraordinary. But I'm convinced that revival takes place when ordinary people are are being faithful in the ordinary things seeking god in the scriptures calling out to him in prayer not neglecting to meet together confessing sin to one another loving our spouse our children our neighbors and our enemies the things we're called and commanded to do uh so uh, I'll stop there. Any any other comment or Bible verse or word of thanksgiving or prayer request before we close this evening? I just want to.
acknowledge that I was very encouraged this morning about Mr. Breckner. Oh. It was very encouraging. It's to hear fellow Christians give testimony of how good God is being in their lives. Thank you, brother. need to say I'm sorry. I didn't mean to argue with you. Hey. <laughs> no. I have a tendency to do that. No, no. I'd rather us argue about what the word says than about, I don't know, the color of the walls. <laughs> you thought I'm not declaring a revival or however you wanted to put that or not saying this is revival or whatever. I think that's what you were saying. Say again. Not having to say this is revival or how exactly you said that. I can't remember. But, um, you're talking about what he's saying is ordinary? No, 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 no. Before, Wait, before, 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 before you judge if it's a, yeah. if it's a revival yeah, or not. If it's a revival. Like, you don't have to talk, say this is a revival. or. Okay. I think he said it's something like that. He said eight people get saved and we go quickly. And then you kept, then you kept saying, and, I, and it just brought a thought that I, I remember Len Rabel Hill always said, he said, you never have to advertise a fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>